carefully listen to every word he speaks. How can we get him? This was the opposition. The people of Israel were amazed at the power of Jesus and his teachings, but they still refused to recognize him as their king. So these are, this is the background of these chapters. And coming to chapter 13, where Jesus begins to talk about parables. In fact, there are seven parables, one after the other, in chapter 13 that Jesus talks about. And what does he talk about? Every parable he begins, he says, the kingdom of God is like. So he's talking about kingdom of God. And talking about these heavenly truths in such a way that an ordinary Jewish person can understand. Jesus brings this truth in such a way that you and I can understand. So these are parables that Jesus brings, and he talks about kingdom of God. What is a parable? What is kingdom of God? We'll, we'll look at it very briefly. The parables of Jesus make up a crucial part of the Bible. And the original, this word means parabole. Parable means placing something beside something. So you can understand what it's all about. A parable is a story taken from a real life situation that helps us to understand spiritual truth. So Jesus brings the spiritual truth and he talks these stories, common, ordinary, everyday, day-to-day -day life stories to show us what the kingdom of God is about. So what is the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, he began his ministry by introducing kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus taught. Matthew chapter 4 verse 17, from the time when Jesus began to preach, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come. And then in Luke 17, 21, he said, the kingdom of God is within you. Now this was a strange concept for people. Kingdom. They already know what a kingdom was. There was a Roman kingdom, a Roman rule, and now Jesus begins to talk about his kingdom. And so he says, this kingdom of God is within you, not a geographical feature, not a place, not a country, but within you. Something different that Jesus is bringing up here. Matthew 6.33, he tells his people, seek first the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is not of this world. You need to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. This is where Nicodemus comes up to Jesus and he says, I don't know what this kingdom of God is all about. What it means to be born again. And Jesus talks to Nicodemus. And then he taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in Jesus' teaching, kingdom of God is a central theme. Every now and then he talks about kingdom of God. And so for people it was quite something different. It's within you. Seek first the kingdom of God. You need to be born again to get in the kingdom of God. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Matthew uses this phrase kingdom of heaven while the other gospel uses this phrase kingdom of God. Now they all are one and the same. But Matthew uses it differently. Kingdom of God is God's rule over the hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. This morning, friends, 
If you have said Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and you submit to him, his kingdom is within you. Just like Jesus said, the kingdom is within you. It's within us. And in a sense, this church is kind of an invisible kingdom of God. And we know, friends, that this kingdom is not going to end. Jesus Christ is going to come back. And he's going to reveal to us this kingdom of God. This is God's kingdom. Roman kingdom is gone. The Greek empire is gone. Big empires came and have gone. Big rulership have come and gone. But the rule of Christ will last forever and ever to eternity. Remember that Jesus' audience had a different kingdom in mind. They were thinking of earthly political kingdom. But Jesus is talking of another kingdom, the kingdom of God. And hence, the opposition, the rejection by the authorities. And they wanted to kill Jesus off. Because they didn't want him to know what this kingdom is. For them, it was a Jewish kingdom. And that's what they wanted, that this kingdom will overthrow the Roman Empire. And that's what they're all about. And we find even the disciples were kind of feeling let down. Because Jesus was not talking about that kingdom. He was talking about the kingdom of God. So he begins these two parables. And this morning we're going to look at these two parables that Jesus talked about. How much the kingdom of God is worth. And how we as the citizens of the kingdom of God should respond to this kingdom. So he begins this, both this parable by saying, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is like, parallel, is like this. So he says, he brings about a story to talk about this. The first thing he talks about is a hidden treasure. Verse 44, this is what he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a hidden treasure in a field. Look at these words that he's saying. It, it's, it's even though it's just one verse that he's talking about this parable, there's so much that he talks about in this one verse. Kingdom of heaven is like a hidden, uh, 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 like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, went out and sold all he had. And he bought that field. It's like a kingdom of God is like a hidden treasure in a field. The treasure is hidden. Meaning it needs to be sought after. A man found it. Now, Jesus in his story doesn't tell us who this man was who found it. Apparently, he's not the owner of the land. He must be a, a hired worker or a farmer who's working on this land. And he stumbled upon this treasure. And then the Bible says, and Jesus says in his story, he said, this man found the treasure and he hid it again. Probably he was tilling the land with his donkey and suddenly he hit this box, he lifts it out, he knows his treasure, he puts it back in the ground and he covers it up. I was wondering, why did he do that? D.A. Carson, a theologian historian, he writes, under the rabbinical laws, anyone who lifts a treasure out from the ground, it belongs to the owner. And most, um, like most people in those times, it belonged to some of the Roman authorities 
who own the land. So this man thought, well, if I take this out from the ground, it'll go to the owner of the land. So he put it back in. Second reason, Carson says there was no banks in Jesus' time. If they needed to keep it safe, they would bury it in the ground, especially if war is imminent. And we know Israel was a bed of war. Always there's rumors of war, and there was war uprising and rebellion and all kinds of things. So one of the best ways to protect your assets was to put it in the ground. Now, we all put our savings in banks. We put our monies in shares and bonds, securities, real estate, whatever, whatever. But in those days, they didn't have any of these. So they used to put it in the ground. Jesus does not tell us what this man was doing in somebody else's field. Maybe he was a farmer in the field. Whatever, whatever reason he was there, he found this amazing treasure. And the Bible says, after he hid it again, then in his joy, full of joy, he went home about what he has just found. Two important things to make note in this verse. The man sold everything. He sold all that he had, and he bought the field. Secondly, he did it with joy. When this man sold everything he had, he wanted to buy that field because he knew that there was treasure there that he had put it back again. He wanted to buy this field. Sold everything. He had left nothing. This man did not want to grab the treasure and make a run for it in case he had been robbed on the way or whatever. Uh, this happens in India. When you go to the bank, there are people hanging around the teller machines waiting to see. They draw cash out and then they tag you and make sure that they get it. So he didn't, this man didn't want to make a run for it. He wanted to make sure the treasure was safe. So he wanted to buy the whole land, and as the owner of the land, the treasure was his. So he wanted to buy it. So what does he do? He liquidates all his assets. He knew the treasure was better than his home. He knew that his treasure was better than his belongings, to his furnitures, and whatever he had at home, donkeys and all that. He knew that this treasure was far more worth than all that he had. So he was willing to give up, give up everything. And then, he say, and then Jesus said, he did this with joy. The treasure was so important to him that he joyfully gave up everything else in this world to gain the treasure, a happy trade-off. The beauty of the kingdom is when, when one finds this, they react out of pure joy, sacrificing it all, counting it at no loss in order to obtain the impossible. What is Jesus telling us with this parable? He's not telling us to become monks or hermits or give up everything and sit on a 60-feet pillar. Uh, one of the uh, saints did it in the Middle Ages. So he didn't say that. Jesus is here. He is talking about our, our attitude to the kingdom. Is the kingdom worth more than anything else for us today? Is God's kingdom worth so much precious that we are willing to give up everything? The joy that brought this to this man was so massive. And so too is the kingdom of God, friends. I've heard testimonies. I've heard stories 
from people who lived in, in, in different religion or when they found Jesus. And this is what they said, I have found the joy. I could sleep like a baby at night. I know a lot of Hindus who have come to know the Lord, who have said, I cannot understand this peace that I have. I cannot understand this joy that I feel within me. I cannot understand, I, cannot have, I do not have the words to explain it. It's something like darkness being lifted, chains being broken, and now they are set free. This is what the, this is what the joy that brings in. It lifts something off from your shoulders. And Jesus is saying here that this man, when he found this treasure, with all the joy that he had, he went home to sell everything. Friends, do we have the joy in the kingdom of God? The joy because of what God has done in our lives. Many times Christians are like sucking lemon. Very sad. But there's joy in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. Because when we know who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives, to see the darkness gone and the light has come into our life will bring joy, friends. And Nehemiah says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. This is the joy that brings. Kingdom of God costs you everything. You are completely changed. Your life is turned around 180 degrees. You know that God has called you. He's made you sons and daughters. This is the kingdom of God. And you have said, Lord, I want you to come into my life. And you made a turnaround. This is what the kingdom of God costs. Turning around and walking towards Him. It costs you, friends. It costs you. In some places, it costs people's lives. People are given a choice. Accept Christ or you die. What does it mean to you today? What does this kingdom of God mean to you today? Is it so valuable, so priceless? Are you willing to say, I'm going to leave the world behind. I'm going to follow you, Lord, with all my heart, with joy in my heart. I'm going to follow you. The cost, it costs you nothing. The price has already been paid. God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, into this world to die for us. To pay the price for us and to give us his kingdom. It costs nothing to us. But in receiving it and walking in his kingdom, it costs us that you're willing to give up everything. This is what Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Whatever gain I had counted, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Whatever Paul has achieved, and we know that he had one of the best training and one of the best teachers in those days, he was willing to give up everything. Just that he wanted to know Christ to know Christ. Friends, this morning, let that be our desire as well. Lord, I'm willing to count everything as loss. I just want to know you. 
I just want to know you. Let that be our prayer. If you belong to the kingdom, you have the greatest treasure. And this treasure is freely given by God to anyone who submits to him. Jesus is a perfect example. God would give everything he had. His own son. That he can call us his sons and daughters. That he can call us his sons and daughters. Let's look at the next parable. Parable of the pearl. Again. Look at the word again. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And this is like a merchant looking for a fine pearl. And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. Similar to the first one. That man found it accidentally, the treasure. But this man, he is searching intently for this treasure, for this, for this pearl. So the meaning, when, he, when, when, when Jesus is again, he is meaning the story is very much like the first one. Parable of, a, of hidden treasure. So it's like this. In this parable, a merchant is looking for a pearl. Now look at that word, merchant. Interesting that Jesus uses this word merchant. In the first one, a man. In the second one, the fine pearl, it's like a merchant looking for fine pearl. It was interesting when I looked at the word merchant. It, kind of, it stood out to me. I thought, oh, merchant. Why is he writing this word term merchant? The word merchant is an interesting word in Greek. It refers to a wholesale dealer. He's not a small-time retailer. He's someone who's, been probably, uh, who's seen probably a lot of things, a lot of pearls. So he knows what a fine pearl is. So he's looking for that pearl, and then he finds one. Have you seen people who are jealous when they feel like a prize, precious stone? They can look into it and toss a light and say how costly it is. So he was this man. He was a wholesale dealer looking for the fine pearl. Pearls were expensive during Jesus' times. It was incredibly expensive. The treasure seekers searched the Red Sea or the Persian Gulf or the Indian Ocean. During Jesus' time, they didn't have oyster farms like they have today, where you can go get some oysters and shuck it down. They didn't have those oysters. They didn't have scuba gears where they could dive deep inside. What they did was they would tie rocks to their body and then jump off the boat. Holding a long, deep breath, they would, di they would dive deep down, often searching for pearls. This was a dangerous job. They had to do several dives. Several times. During the day, during the week, to find that one pearl. So the pearls... So when they find that pearl, the pearl is, was, is expensive because of all the things that have gone into. And these pearls are very rare and very valuable. There was a historian, a secular, a Roman historian during Jesus' times, Pliny. He says, Cleopatra had two pearls, each worth half a million dollars, and that is in today. In those times, 20 times more buying power than what it is today. Just two pearls. Expensive. And the first parable, we find this man gladly gives up everything he owned. He too knew nothing that he owned would compare with the hidden treasure in the field. 
And now this man with the pearls. What is Jesus telling us, friends? He wants us to put the kingdom first. Put the kingdom first. He says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. This morning, friends, where is your treasure? When the world is your desire, you'll be committed to storing up earthly treasures. So the kingdom of God is where your treasure is. That's where your joy will be. That's where your commitment will be. On the, uh, Jesus, when he, he talks about this treasure, he says you will devote your life to live for his glory and for the good of others. The kingdom of God, that's what it does. Where do we commit our lives to? It's the good of others and for his glory. And I want to ask you some questions. Do I treasure Jesus or do I treasure the treasures of the world? Do I obsess over earning more money or buying more things? Or am I consumed with living and loving like Jesus? These questions will answer us, will tell us where our treasure is. In a sense, Jesus is saying with these two parables, what are your priorities? What are those things that is important to you? Jesus makes it very clear that we should not let anything to keep us from entering the kingdom of heaven. There was a rich man who came to Jesus. And he asked Jesus, what do I do? To have this eternal life, to have this kingdom of God. And Jesus said, takes him to the commandments and says, do this, do that. Do this. He said, Lord, I have kept all these commandments. And Jesus tells him, go sell everything you have and seek after the kingdom. And this man went away very sad because he didn't want to do that. Where is our priorities, friends, this morning? Are we seeking after God? The point of these two parables is the great value of being a part of God's kingdom. In both these parables, the importance is placed on the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God costs you everything. Because when you find it, you can't continue to be the person you were once were. And this kingdom changes you in and out. Changes you through and through. The desires that you once had, it's no more. And now you have desire to come to church. You desire to read His Word. You desire to pray. You desire to love one another. You desire to pursue after Christ. To seek first the kingdom of God. And this is what the kingdom of God does. And this is what Jesus is saying. Your life will change radically. What you love will be altered. 
You will have different purpose in life. And this is what the world cannot understand, friends. They can't understand because they don't have this kingdom. They have the kingdom of this world. The parables calls us to desire his kingdom above all else. One main thing we learn from these parables, the kingdom of God is so valuable that losing everything on earth to become kingdom people. And I think that's a happy trade-off. So friends, just like Jesus taught, seek first the kingdom of God. Things of God. His kingdom has entered your life. Has entered in my life. We are his sons and daughters. He is a heavenly father. And we are part of the kingdom. And this kingdom is not going to perish. It's not going to die one day. It's going to come back again. Because Jesus he is going to come back to this earth. And we are going to be, and we are part of the kingdom. We are going to see the kingdom being set on this, in this world, kingdom of God. Where is our desire, friends? Where is your treasure? Let's pray. Let's take a moment, friends, and say where our desire is. What are we chasing after? What are we running after? Things that get stolen, things that get destroyed, moth and rust eat things up. Oh, where is our desire? We live on this earth for 80, 90, 100 years, we don't know. But we're going to live in the kingdom for eternity. This morning, Father, we come to you. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the kingdom. And in our hearts, we submit ourselves to you. In our hearts, we have accepted you as the Lord of our lives. You are our sovereign king. And we are your people, Lord. And we thank you that we have this happy trade-off. That we have this kingdom of God within us. Father, we pray that whatever we are struggling with and whatever we are going through with, health issues and relationships, the struggles we go through, we thank you, Lord, that you are our sovereign God and that you care for us and that you love us so deeply and you have promised to be with us wherever we are. So this morning, God, as your people, we lift our concerns and burdens to you and help us, Lord, constantly to be aware that we are your children and we are in this kingdom. The kingdom of this world desires to drag us down, climb up this greasy, slippery pole of success. 
Lord, in this kingdom, we want to know you. We want to love you and love one another. Help us, Lord God, this morning to know that we are part of this incredible kingdom, the priceless treasure that we have in us because of you. Thank you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Thanks so much, Sam. If you guys want to stand on your feet, we'll sing one.